This podcast is not meant to be professional advice of any kind. It's meant to be informative and entertaining. If you make any changes to your life, see the appropriate professional before you do so. Hello, and welcome to SuperAge. My name is David Harry Stewart. I'm the founder of Aegist. At SuperAge, we help you live better and become the best version of yourself. And who doesn't want a SuperAge? Welcome to episode 104 of the SuperAge podcast. It's great to have you with us. We'll be dropping this on October the 5th, 2022. Today's show is brought to you by Inside Tracker, the dashboard to your inner health. Go to insidetracker.com slash Aegis, save 20% on all their products. This show is also brought to you by Element, L-M-N-T, my favorite electrolyte mix. It's what I put in my water in the morning, and it's what I put in my water at the gym. Go to drinkelement.com slash ageist and receive a free eight-serving sample pack with your first purchase. So we talk a lot here about saying yes and the power of yes, and just be a joiner, right? So um, I got a little mea culpa here. <laughs> um they, I, I live in Park City, Utah, and there's a ski resort, and they have this adult race camp that they do during the year. And they have sort of different flavors of it, but they've got one that's Tuesday and Thursday morning, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m., and they teach you how to run slalom gates. That's where the gates are tied together, or giant slalom. They're a little further apart. It goes faster. And um, so they do this thing for people like me. Now, it's not a tremendous amount of money. It's, um, I think it's 24 sessions um, over the course of the season. And they want you to be um, a reasonably strong intermediate skier, which I'm a, I'm a pretty good skier, and be in really good shape. And I'm, I'm in pretty good shape. And they'll teach you how to do this thing. Now, I was looking at this, and I thought, well, that could be kind of interesting. And then I started running through in my head all the reasons why I shouldn't do it. Well, you might get hurt. Um, you might not be able to do it, and they'll make fun of you. Um, they might not like you. Um, it might be awkward meeting new people. You're going to have to get up early. It's going to be cold. And what I realized was, after I went through this sort of washing cycle for about two days, was that I didn't want to go because I thought I might be embarrassed that I might not be able to do this thing like as well as, I mean, there are other people there who are, you know, probably former professional skiers. So they're really, really good. And I thought, wait a minute here, dude, (laughs) you're the ages. You do super age. You got to walk the talk. You got to do this thing. So, so I'm going to do this thing and, um, I will let you know how it goes. I've never ski raced in my life. I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of clumsiness and falling and, you know, being really, really slow and bad at this thing, but I got to do it right. <laughs> I can't, I can't continue to do what I'm doing, you know, here at ages and super age and not do this. So I'm just putting it out there. Um, I'm going to do this thing. It starts like early December and, you know, at the age of 64, I'm going to learn to be a ski racer. So there, <laughs> see how well that goes. So sort of ironically on the show today, we I don't know how well like ski racing and health span and longevity go together, but what the heck, you got to live, right? <laughs> this week on the show, we've got Dr. Mike Roizen, and we've had Mike on here in the past. Um, he's great. He's the 90s, the new 40 guy. And when he says that, I would believe him. He's the Emeritus Chief Wellness Officer from the Cleveland Clinic. Mike's written 190 peer-reviewed articles. He's had four New York Times bestsellers. He's got a new book that I really like called The Great Age Reboot. And there's an app that goes with it. And the app is called Reboot Your Age. We're going to put links to both of those in the show notes. We're going to get with Dr. Mike Roizen in just a moment after a quick word from our sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is the dashboard to your inner health. Just as a car has a dashboard so you can tell how fast you're going and how much gas you have, you need a dashboard for your inner health. You need to know what's going on inside your body if you're going to optimize it. You need some way to monitor what's going on inside your body. And then once you know what's going on inside your body, you need some way 
to help optimize that. And this is what I get from Inside Tracker. With their 43 biomarkers that they're testing, along with the genetics that they test me for, I know what I should be eating to really optimize where I want to be. And I get to choose that target of where I want to be. Am I working on brain health? Am I working on longevity? Is there something with my fitness that I'm interested in optimizing? The app will make recommendations personalized to me based on my blood work and my genetics. And that's something that I just think is invaluable. Um, It's not a replacement for seeing my doctor. It's not a replacement for any of the other professionals in my life. It is an additive, but it is an additive that is with me every day, all day. And I can consult it and I can see what should I be doing right now. And then I can test again and see what changes have happened. If you go to insidetracker.com slash ageist, you'll save 20% on all their products. Today's show is also brought to you by Element, the electrolyte mix that I've been using to stay hydrated and to keep my electrolytes in balance. I started placing Element electrolyte mix into my water after my workouts on the recommendation of a friend of mine who's a 50-time Ironman competitor. I told him that I was having a lot of trouble recovering from my workouts, and I thought it was my age. And it turned out it was my electrolytes. And once I started putting Element into my water... I noticed an incredible difference in my ability to recover from my workouts. It went from, I mean, truthfully, an hour or two to like 10 minutes Um, because the problem was my electrolytes were off. Now what I do is I put Element in my water when I get up first thing in the morning. I also have it in my water that I drink during the day. And then, of course, at the gym, I make sure that there's Element in my water. And of course, in my beloved sauna, the same thing, Element in the water. So it turns out that some of that brain fog and just muscle ache and sluggishness that I was feeling was not age-related. It was actually electrolyte-related. We talk a lot about hydration on this podcast, but the electrolyte mix within that water is really critical. Right now, Element is offering listeners of this podcast a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single-serving packets free with any Element order. It's a great way to try out all eight flavors and share Element with a salty friend. Get yours at drinkelement.com slash ages. This deal is only available through this link. You must go to D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com slash ageist. We'll be leaving that link in the show notes too. After you check it out, let me know what you think about it. Did it make the change for you that it did for me? Dr. Mike, it is so good to see your smiling face again. How are it's, you today? It's a privilege, David. My, I, I'm great, and you look great. Uh, um, I think I'm uh, partially great because I follow the things you tell me to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, tell me, so, so you've got the, the book came out, um, Great Age Reboot, and an app came out with it. Yeah, um, okay. At least show the book. Uh, I'll just hear. Um, I got one too. Um, <laughs> Great. It's a, it's a fantastic resource. Tell me a little bit about the process of making the book. And I, I can show you the app too, if I can get my uh, cell phone to stay on while we're talking. Um, so the, uh, the app, the attempt with the app is to have me in your pocket, right? So there's my uh, set of the app, but the, the, um, the book came first, um, and the the only reason I would ever write a book, at least in my mind, is because I think there's enough science that Im- that makes behavior change important, and so the books are written to try and um, get people to understand what the science has changed. They're written in lay language, obviously, and it's supposed to be fun. And the second, and and we work hard to get fun in them. And then the second thing is, is to motivate behavior change, or at least thought. Um, so this book came out because the science of aging, that is into the basic mechanism of aging, is advancing fast enough that I think it is likely with 14 shots on goal, and we can talk about what that means in a second, but with 14 shots on goal, there's an 80% likelihood 
we're all going to be able to be 40 when our calendar age strikes 90. That is, we're going to get rebooted back, which has, and that's really what the first third of the book is about, is the science change. The middle third is about the policy, financial, and social changes that we can benefit from if we take advantage of it. And the last third is about what we can do to prepare for it medically, that is health-wise, and a little bit financially. So the, the key point is what we wanted to do with the book is to help people understand how important this is. The app came afterwards because the science is advancing so fast, we wanted people to keep being able to be updated and for it to be personalized to them. And so that's why we did the app. Um, for people out there listening, the, the name of this book is The Great Age Reboot. I get probably a book around aging in my mailbox once a week and have for a couple of years. It's, a st- I, it's like I, I, I don't know how many trees have died to make this library over here. Um, this is the best one I have ever read. Wow. Um, it, Thank it you. It is. And, I, 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 <laughs> and I'm telling you, and the app. Also, there's a lot of apps sort of helpful out there. There are two things I like about this app. One, it only requires 10 minutes of my day. There's five sort of like entertaining and informational things. They're like a minute or two each. And then there's the library, Mike. The library that goes through all the science, the discussions that you're having in your scientific board is having around these various subjects. And then the if I want to go really nuts, I can go into the abstracts. And I just love that. Right. I think it's brilliant. Oh, thank you. We, you know, the scientific advisory board works hard on each of those. We do it as an NIH process. Someone reviews it. We summarize it. We get it to the best we can. Then we present the scientific advisory board. One of the scientific advisory board is the lead reviewer on it. He or she presents it, and then we vote on it, Um, and some of which we reject and send back. Um, So uh, it it is interesting. Uh, To me, it's always an incredibly interesting process. And one of the most interesting things of all, Dave, you know, these are 10 experts in longevity, and every one of them has changed behavior based on one or more of these scientific reviews. So... It's uh, joyous in that way. It's um, it's sort of my reading of it, having never been part of a scientific review. I see that, um, you know, there'll be an item, whatever it is, and and there'll be somebody will be talking about the pros, somebody about the cons and the articles. That, and I I just think that's great. But the thing that got my attention is right up front in the book, it says life expectancy. And so. If you want to know why you want to change your behavior right now, you want to look at this chart. And so I'm 63. How old are you, Mike? I'm 76. And you look like you're like 58. So thank um, you. (laughs) Couldn't you try 40? (laughs) (laughs) You're doing great. The white hair, the white hair sideburns is giving it away. It gives it away. Yeah. Uh, it says here, like, if um, if my approximate age is 65, when I was born, my life expectancy was 73. My projected life expectancy now is 110. So that's 45 extra years. And if you happen to be 25 now, your life expectancy is expected to be 125. How did you, where'd you come up with these numbers? I, I love them, but where'd, how did you get to them? Well, it's based on what we expect the death rates and certain disease death rates to be based on the science that is occurring. So the the advances in cardiovascular disease prevention and rebooting from it in immunologic disease such as cancer and infections and in dementia Um, which are really the three biggest ones, the only one that isn't going to change is what we call unforced errors or accidents, which is you do stupid stuff. Um, So 
I asked you before we got on, do you wear a helmet when you go skiing? And you said yes, but a whole bunch of people still don't. And that that's what we call unforced errors. Yeah, we want to. Um, I, the way I look at it, Mike, is we're all we all have a risk pie, right? And how do you want to allocate your risk? And so my feeling is um, things high risk, like um, when people talk to me about buying, buying a car, I say, I don't care about the gas mileage. I don't care how fast it goes. What I want to know is if you hit a truck, what's the outcome? <laughs> That's what I want to know. Reduce risk in all these unforced errors as much as you can. Well, that's actually, a, uh, you know, um, that's actually a very, how do I call it, deep thought process. I mean, that's a, uh, you're, you're, you're saying, um, am I going to survive and do well? Um, and that's actually a key thing, right? And, and um, I think that's true of every one of our choices in, uh, medicine as well, that is in health as well. So it's a really good way of phrasing it. I want to be alive long enough that I can take advantage of epigenetics. That's exactly right. So <laughs> that we're going to have this wonderful revolution if we make it another 10 years. You're, I think you told me 63? I'm 63, correct. Right. So you're very likely to make it to the point where we're going to get that benefit. Um, and so that's a, it's going, and it, it looks like it's going to be a huge benefit of, of, for someone as curious as you and as, as, um, what I would call viable and, and vibrant as you are, you're going to get the full benefit. I hope so. Thank you for your vote of confidence in that. Um, let's talk a little bit about, there, there's so much, this is a great book. Um, there's so much in it, but. Oh, thank you. Um, let's talk about epigenetics and the effect and what, what epigenetics are and the effect of stress and the opposite of happiness on epigenetics. How does that work? So um, all genes do is make proteins or watch other genes. But it turns out when the Human Genome Project started, we expected to find, that is both the Ventnor group in private and the Collins group at NIH, expected to find, based on the amount of DNA in your nuclei, 300,000 genes. They found only 22,500 about, of which 1,500 are on at any one time. We'll come back to that. But they called the rest of the DNA, the majority of it, junk. Eight years later, the ENCODE project found that it was really switches that control which of your genes are on, what we call methylation or demethylation, which caused the mRNA to skip over it or to read that and produce proteins. It, basically, you have switches that control whether your genes are on or not. Stress, it turns out, turns on genes that make proteins that cause inflammation. Moderating stress, that is happiness, turns off those same genes and turns on genes that makes anti-inflammatory proteins, proteins that decrease inflammation. Most important things, we know this way back when, from the Whitehall studies in Great Britain and Berkman's Al Alameda County studies, posse and purpose. Having six friends you're vulnerable to every month and having a purpose in life and a job with latitude. You right now have a huge job that has latitude. You can ask me any question. You can do this any time of day or night. It's a great position. So having latitude and decision-making ability in your job. You know, Oprah once asked me when I was on her show, she said, what's the worst job in the world? And I said, it's a chicken part separator. So you've got, you got, you have to do things really quickly. You have a chance of injuring your hands and you have no decision latitude. They tell you when the line stops, when it starts. So what you want is decision latitude in your job. That's why teaching is getting so much more stressful. 
and medicine is getting more stressful because they're limiting the choices we have for the way we manage patients and they limit what a teacher can teach. So those jobs are getting much more stressful and occurring with much more burnout, that limiting of choice. So key, posse, and purpose are keys to changing the methylation and demethylation. Now, how do they change the methylation and demethylation? We're not sure, but a lot of it occurs through your microbiome and what happens for the proteins or the substances you absorb from your intestine. So there's an amazing system that occurs that does this. I have no idea, um, if you will, or we have no idea why it evolved exactly this way, but that's the way it, it, it did. It probably evolved to alert us you would get very alert when there was something stressful like a snake in the garden that could actually be a snake, if you will, and bite you. You'd, maybe it was to alert you to jump back or something. I don't know why it evolved um, or why, and, and you can tell why it evolved with a posse. If all you were dealing with was people who were enemy, you were really alert all the time. Whereas if you had friends surrounding you, um, you could not be that alert. But how the, the actual, how it worked through your microbiome to me isn't clear yet. I haven't heard that one. So my gut buddies know when I'm happy or not? Um, it, <laughs> unfortunately, and I don't understand this, but that's what it looks like. It looks like wow. it works through um, whatever you do to your microbiome. This is an amazing thing. So when you eat red meat or egg yolks or some other foods, it processed red meat, especially when you have carnitine, that amino acid plus saturated fat. If you have carnitine pills, doesn't do it. But carnitine and saturated fat turns on different genes in the microbiome that produce something that causes inflammation in you. Now, how that evolved, why that evolved, I have no idea. Maybe it's an accident. But whatever it is, it occurs. But it looks like when you exercise, you change the genes that are on in your microbiome. When you're stressed, you change which genes are on in your microbiome. So I don't know why it works that way, but it does. I'm having a conversation with Naveen Jain in about three hours who has Viome. And I'm going right. to ask him. He, I mean, he's like the RMNA, RNA, RMNA gut biome test guy and I'm I'm going to ask him this. We'll see if he has an answer for this. Curious. Call me back. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me the answer. <laughs> it's fascinating. Um, so um, there, there are a few things in the book that um, are of interest to me. Um, so we, you, there's, you recommend aspirin. And aspirin is one of these sort of things that, I don't know, the New York Times just loves to put on the front of the paper, like aspirin is bad, aspirin is good, and it's one of these things. And you're recommending 80 milligrams, which is like a child size aspirin. Baby aspirin. Baby aspirin at night and then in the morning, twice a day. Um, and it, and it, my understanding is this is for not only cardiovascular, but for anti-inflammatory, anti-cancer effect. Did, did I get that right? Right. So... If you look at the recent recommendations by the USPSTF, the United States Preventive Services Task Force, they say it's an individual choice with your physician. And I believe that strongly. So none of what I recommend in the book or in the app should you do, I think, without talking to your practitioner. But talk to your practitioner. The reason I largely, I take it myself and I largely recommend it to most of my patients is one, it has um, anti-clotting effects. We know one of the major effects of COVID-19 
is that you get clotting and persistent clotting a year afterwards, also from the vaccine. So I think that's an added benefit. <coughs> but in addition, it decreases uh, clotting, so it decreases your risk of a heart attack, stroke, or memory loss from clotting. And they say, well, wait a second, it increases your risk of bleeding, right? That's the contrary. And if you look at a lot of both the randomized controlled studies and, epi and the epidemiology, it decreases your risk of 11 cancers, including breast and including uh, colon and rectal common cancers, um, by about 30%. In the U.S. Preventive Service Task Force analysis, they discounted all the cancer risk because they said cancer benefit because they said it wasn't in the same type of patients and they didn't follow them long enough. I disagree with that. The second thing is they upped the risk of bleeding and didn't take into account all the things like having the aspirin with a glass of water or having bovine colostrum with it because they said most people won't do it. And then the third thing they did is they used the data from the randomized studies, which had, which is wonderful, except they used intention to treat and not on protocol analysis. What's intention to treat? Well, intention to treat is I randomized this group to take aspirin and this group not to take it. Well, it turns out of the group to take it, only 64% took it. And of the group not to take it, 32% actually took aspirin extra. <laughs> and when you look at the on protocol, that is the people who actually took the aspirin, um, no matter which group they're in, and the people who didn't take it, no matter which group they're in, there was about a 44% reduction in heart attacks compared to the other group. It wasn't 10% as in the, uh, as in the intention to treat. So what you've got to say is hooray for OCD. Um, you're OCD, so when you take aspirin, you're going to take it. My patients are OCD. So that's if you're going to take it, and that's part of the app is, as you know, we have a My Choices Count where you check off. It's a medication tracker if you want it. You don't have to use it, but I like it. It reminds me, uh, if you will, to take uh, my baby aspirin. I can't show it to you. It's too small. Uh, I was going to show you my baby <laughs> aspirin that I get for my second time. Uh, anyway, um, I can't show it to you. It keeps falling out of my hand. Anyway, um, the point is that if you're OCD and will really take it when you're supposed to, you're in that 44%, not the 14%. If you're in the 14% and don't take it regularly, uh, then probably it's not good. That's one of the reasons why you want to talk to your practitioner. That's one of the reasons why you want to have, if you're going to use the app, you use it and track that. So the point is um, that I think the USPSTF um, didn't do a, what I would call a, fair job in saying, what are the caveats to their analysis? They did put them in, but they didn't put them in in a big enough way to say, hey, I'm OCD. I'm going to take it. It's much better. It's a much greater benefit than risk for me. Um, so, and now, why do you want to take it twice a day? Well, if you take it only once a day, you still get the anti-clotting effect. It lasts 36 hours. But the anti-inflammatory effect, when we've looked at it, it looks like it lasts 16 to 20 hours. So that you need, if you miss once, um, you're in, and even for most people, they need it uh, more often. Excuse me. Uh, yeah, um, sure. And so I apologize. So um, if you, uh, let me make sure that's on uh, vibrate. Anyway, so the point is that uh, I think um, that um, if you're OCD and if you want a, the anti-inflammatory and anti-cancer benefit, you probably should take it twice a day so that if you miss it once, you're not really missing it. Um, 
so a couple a couple things on that. Um, I adjusted my protocol to once a day because I thought, well, sometimes I do adventuresome things and I might fall down and this clotting thing could be a problem. Um, but maybe I'm going to readjust to the correct protocol, which is twice a day to get the, you know, to get the anti-inflammatory. Right. But the, let me, again, you're pretty careful with wearing a helmet when you go skiing and when you do quote, risky things, you want to make sure that you protect yourself. The second point is you don't want to stop aspirin suddenly without your physician guiding you because there is a rebound, Mm. not in the anti-inflammatory effect, as we can tell, but at least in the anti-clotting effect. There's an increase in clotting Mm. in the three-day after you've taken it, period. So if you stop it, you want to restart it um, as soon as you can. The, the key points you where you want to stop it is if you're having surgery, plastic surgery or surgery on your eye or brain. And that um, the study that you mentioned, over what period of time were they tracking people? Um, which study is that? If the, you're the, talking about the U.S. Preventive Service yeah. Task Force uh-huh. or the intention to treat the intention to treat, I think, was a three-year period. Maybe it was a, a five-year. There are two large studies. The one I was quoting was from Australia, and I can't remember whether that was a three or five or, or year period. Um, I apologize. But again, as you said in the app, all the references are in the app, and you can click on them so you can find it in the app. If I uh, had time while we were talking, I'd open it now and look, but I can't remember. Um, There's something I read about in the book that I hadn't heard about before, which is ASU, avocado soybean. Unsuponifiable. That I can't spell. Right. (laughs) I'm glad you pronounced that because I can't. What what is that? It's the only disease modifying thing we know for joint arthritis. Well used in Europe. I don't know why it hasn't penetrated the United States. It's a supplement. Um, I get it at drtheos.com. I have no, um, if you will, interest in that website. And it's uh, Dr. Jason Theodakis, who's a a rheumatologist. But um, it is, um, it's known by a different name in France, Priscoline, I think it is, study, well, documented in the British Medical Journal in a large study not to have serious side effects um, and to have some benefits in disease modification. That is, we know that anti-inflammatories seem to take away the pain but don't stop the progression of disease. This um, isn't as useful for pain. It isn't guided for that, but does take away progression of some of the disease. It's not huge, but it is a benefit. And when you take it, I I think there is such a thing as ASU Complete on Dr. Theodakis's website. But in any case, um, ASU alone is disease modifying with the complete. It has glucosamine and chondroitin sulfate, which takes away the pain. So in that case, um, you get the, the pain benefit as well as the uh, disease modification, but does modify the disease. Um, one of the, if you will, some of the craziness is when you give it to someone with gout, if they don't respond within an hour, I don't think they have gout. It's pathognomonic for uh, gout. So there are some tricks, if you will, of the trade. But in any case, it is, it is something that uh, um, I can tell you um, patients and I and my wife are all taking, and uh, I'm I, you know I I I believe in what we've written. You know, people say how many of the there literally are 180 choices in the in the app, and about 53 supplements of which about 16 show benefit greater than risk, and uh, I do all of the things that are beneficial save two, um, so. So, so with, with ASU, this is um, preventative of osteoarthritis or helpful to someone who's already symptomatic of osteoarthritis? It seems to be both. 
In the studies, and again, they're European studies, it is both. Wonderful. Um, let's You'd like on. there to be more data and to be, but um, we don't have quite enough data to, it's for me to say everyone with arthritis should be taking it or everyone should be taking it as a preventive. But it looks like it's pretty darn good. Okay. You sold me. Um, I've painted my joints in my finger joints. So we're looking that up. Um, let's move on to um, LDL and statins. So uh, I've, um, I don't know. I've had there's maybe a dozen people on this podcast, and we've got a dozen different views on this. Um, so. Well, let me give you one based on the data. Okay. Yes. So if you have, let's just say you have an LDL cholesterol of 140 wow. and you reduce it with a statin to 70. Yeah. That decreases your risk. Well, let me give you, let's say you have 140 and reduce it to 100. Okay. That's well documented in the literature that 40 milligram per deciliter decrease in LDL means you're going to have about a 70% reduction in heart disease risk. It's about a little more. That's in year one. Now let's say you do it for 10 years. Well, your LDL may only be down 25 now after 10 years from that same dose of statin, but your risk will be down almost 95%. That is the earlier you start and the more you do it, the more you lower your risk. Not only that, in the Cleveland Clinic series, if you don't have other risk factors, hypertension, other things, and all we're doing is looking at LDL, it's very hard to have a heart attack if your LDL is below 70. And if you even have an LPA, a high LPA, it's very hard to have either a heart attack or aortic valve calcifications if we get your LDL below 40 or your apolipoprotein B below 50. It's really apolipoprotein B that is the real thing you want to do. But let's just say everybody in America and Europe and in Canada, they measure apolipoprotein B, which is really the key thing, we've learned to measure LDL. I don't know why we did that, but I mean, it was easier first. We knew it first, but LDL below 70 or apolipoprotein B below 70 is where you want to go. And when you get there, that really radically reduces your risk of heart attack, stroke, memory loss, even impotence and wrinkling of your skin. So for men, you say, hey, I don't care whether you have a heart attack, but do you care whether you're impotent? And most guys will say yes. And so that's one of the things that is, because it's the same process. It's a clot. And for women, it's a wrinkling of the skin and it's the same process. So, um, but now, are there risks from a statin? Yes. And the great news is they come out pretty fast. And so far, um, in the um, virtually all of the cases, if you've got them monitored by a practitioner, you know, is the liver um, problem reversible? Yes. Is dementia reversible? Yes. There, you get delirium suddenly, and it's always reversible. One in 15,000 people will get delirium, but it's been reversible every time so far in the literature. How about? the um, pain in your muscles. Ah, that's, there is a genetic component to that. So you can get the genetic test, but usually we don't get that until you test it twice. Well, in three years, we're gonna get the genetics on everybody, but we aren't there quite yet. But in fact, um, if you're allergic, if you have that and you're taking coenzyme Q10, it seems to be much diminished. And we switch you to a different statin. Just switching from rosuvastatin to torvastatin, usually it isn't there. In addition, in the large randomized controlled trials, about 36% of people taking the statin complain of muscle pain. And guess what? 34.7% taking a placebo 
control complaint of muscle pain. So um, most of the time, 90% of the time, it's relating to um, something else in life rather than the statin. But so do I advocate a statin? Yes. If the if the apple lipoprotein B is above 80, or if there are other risk factors, even if it's below 80, if there are other risk factors, 50% of the benefit of the statin is an anti-inflammatory benefit. So with both atorvastatin and rosuvastatin, there's a fair suggestion that they decrease all of the other conditions increased by inflammation. And again, one of the key points is the longer you take it, the more benefit you get from it in decreasing chronic disease. So I'm a strong advocate. Now, one other thing, does it raise your glucose level by about three milligrams per deciliter? Yes. And some people will flip from the diagnosis if they got a level of 105 and it goes to 108. At 107, they get the diagnosis of prediabetes, so maybe it'll cause the diagnosis of prediabetes in some people. But in fact, um, it doesn't do much to raise your glucose level, and its anti-inflammatory benefit, I think, overweighs that. And when you look at the data in both men over 50 and women over 50, it seems to have a strong benefit in decreasing all-cause mortality when given um, a pro what I would call to a level that decreases your level of apolipoprotein B or LDL below 70. Okay, so this is not medical advice, but I'm just going to tell you some of my, so I my CT scan, uh, I think I'm a two, um, and... My... Your CT scan, your 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 coronary calcium was two. Yeah, 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 which is a very low level. Very low, but um, but it's still positive. It's still exactly. It's not zero. Um, right. And um, my, you know, I, I've heard that like an LDL under a hundred with. We did they did they scan your carotids as well? They did. It was like a chest thing, Mike. Um, okay, like so kind of... that's for the CT, yeah. but there's a separate no. ultrasound of the carotids. No. I, I I actually worry about stroke more than heart attack, but. Okay, I can ask so, for that. Yeah. So, um, so, if you know, I'm a fairly healthy guy, got a low resting heart rate and all that. So still you would want my LDL under 70. Yeah, especially, I don't know your family history. I don't know you, Um from the standpoint, but if you got a family history of heart disease or an inflammatory disease, then I'd say yes. If if it's if it's you know plus my if you don't have if your family has a history of cancer and not heart disease, and you say I really don't want the statin, or I take it and I get muscle pain, or um, I'd rather um, wait, I would say okay. But the longer you take it, even asymptomatically the more benefit you get. So okay. um, my my thought is, uh, Dave, you're going to live, if we're right on this prediction with 14 shots on goal because of the uh, mechanism of aging research, if we're right on that, and, and I think with an 80% probability, you're going to live to 110 plus. And so I would say, okay, it's time to start a statin. <laughs> okay. Um, I, lo I love talking to you, Mike. It's amazing. Um, well, it's, it, it, it's, a, it's an individual decision of yours on, on pluses and minuses. And they're now inexpensive, so they're not expensive. And we know, you know, let me go and say one of the first time, the reason people have an LDL, that's above 70, which is the, the baseline, is because our liver doesn't get rid of it fast enough. Mm. And that's because of a gene that produces a PCSK, a protein called PCSK, PCSK9. There is now a trial started in New Zealand to knock out that gene. 
the PCSK9 inhibitor, if you will. So it's a PCSK9 um, gene so that in knockout, so that um, you can have that with a one shot instead of with taking statins every day. Um, but until that comes around, I still think we should shoot for cholesterol less than uh, 70 in your blood. Um, let's talk about what I call the vampire treatment, um, therapeutic plasma exchange. <laughs> right. This is actually, this is so interesting. <laughs> Tell me. Um, it started with the Conboys research at UC San Francisco, at the University of California, San Francisco, in the 1960s, where an old rat gave blood to a young rat. And the, um, the young rat, I'm sorry, gave blood to an old rat. The young rat and the old rat were hooked up together. The old rat became younger. The young rat became older. So it was said there must be something in blood that's causing that young rat to make the old rat young. And so they spent 50 years, and not only the convoys, but a whole group of people, looking for what was it in blood that made the old rat young. Well, it turns out it wasn't something in blood that made the old rat young. It was something in blood that made the old rat old. That is, it was misfolded proteins or cells. So the vampire treatment they found in about 2015, and it's continued research now, that if the rats donated their blood, they didn't do it willingly as rats, but humans, we do it voluntarily. If the rats donated their blood and got the red cells that were washed back and then just saline, they made new proteins and new cells and they got younger. And not only did their hearts and cardiovascular system function younger, but their muscles, their skin, their pancreas, liver, um, kidney, everything that was biopsied looked younger, like they didn't have old cells with it. That led to both trials in humans by the convoys now going on at UCSF and Stanford, but the AMBAR studies. In the AMBAR studies, people with early dementia, randomized controlled trials, you can Google AMBAR or you can go on our app and find it, um, A-M-B-A-R, those AMBAR studies, about 300 people randomly allocated. The ones who got, who donated their plasma once a week for five weeks, then once a month for four weeks. So nine donations over five months. Um, at 15 months, their global cognition scores reversed. That is, they started getting rid of their dementia not totally, but they were getting improvements and continuing at 15 months. The control group getting worse, which is what you'd expect what happens normally with dementia. Now, they didn't look at other organs, but this is really the first reversal of dementia we have in a systematic fashion, randomized controlled trial. So now the AMBAR group has started, that was at six centers, as I understand it, two in Spain, two in Chile, University of Pittsburgh, and Cleveland Clinic. Now they've started a 3,000-person study, 100 sites, um, multiple sites, to see if they can duplicate this in early Alzheimer's. So the FDA has said to them, as I understand it, if the same results occur, this is going to be the first approved treatment for dementia. How expensive is it? Well, we pay kids to do donate albumin all the time. So it can't be that expensive, right? All you're doing is donating a unit of blood, getting the red cells back that are washed and some salt water with it. Um, and so you get that repeatedly. If I had early dementia, knock on wood, I don't have it. But if I did, I would probably start this, um, or at least I'd enroll in the trial. The trial, I think, is uh, two two groups that get the the treatment versus one group that doesn't, or a three to one ratio, something like that. 
at different levels of uh, plasma exchange. But in any case, that's what I would uh, do. And you can look up AMBAR on uh, Google, or as you say, you can get our app, and it's right in the uh, the references are all there. So it, this so the um, boys as well. The therapeutic plasma exchange is this something similar to dialysis? No, like it, it, of, no? well, in a way, it's dialysis. I mean, I. That kind it's of not machine? Really, it's not really because dialysis doesn't get rid of your proteins or your right. albumin. This is um, getting rid of essentially everything in your plasma uh-huh. and just giving you your red cells back and then giving you saline in place of your plasma, forcing your body to make new, new proteins and new albumin. I, I guess uh, the, the nature of my question is, is there technology that needs to be invented to do this or is there existing medical machines that do this this is uh whenever the kids go in and donate plasma that's what happens when you go to the red cross and donate a unit of blood that's essentially what happens so it's not you don't need new uh technology uh this is this is known technology i mean the the Cleveland Clinic, I think, did something like 22,000 of these last year, not for this condition, but for ALS and myasthenia gravis and, and other autoimmune diseases It's it's been a known treatment for. Oh, brilliant. I love that. Okay. So, so it's not very expensive, obviously. That's that, that's where I was going with this. Yeah. yeah. Let me give you another one that I that, that, is, that is in the app. Um that is uh, bumetamide or Viagra. Now you say, what's bumetamide? It's a $4 a month water pill. And what's Viagra? Well, you know, that's used for pulmonary hypertension in women and erectile dysfunction in men. Um, Both of these were looked at by different places. The Gladstone looked at all drugs approved by the FDA that were generic, something like 1,300 at the time they did it. The uh, Cleveland Clinic did the same thing and looked at a bigger series of drugs, 1,500. And what the two groups found in in the Gladstone was that this Bumex, Bumetamide, $4 a month uh, water pill, decrease the binding of amyloid and tau to neurons and glia cells. The same thing the Cleveland Clinic found for Viagra. And when bumetamide was looked at a 12 million person database compared to other water, people on other water pills, 70% reduction in dementia. When Viagra was looked at it at the Cleveland Clinic versus other treatments for pulmonary hypertension and uh, erectile dysfunction, a 69% reduction in dementia. So now both are undergoing randomized controlled trials to see if they can prospectively do this, and the two together are being looked at. So how expensive is that? $4 a month for Pumex currently. Amazing. I never heard no, of it. So that's one of the one of the 14 areas is proteostasis is how to um, keep your proteins in the same format. I don't know if we want to go around taking Viagra all day, every day. I, that doesn't sound like I'm joking. I'm <laughs> well, 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 Bumex, if you don't want that, I mean, you know, who knows which one's going to prove better or if the two prove <laughs> best together. Um, but obviously, uh, Bumetamide is pretty good. Okay. So, um, we discussed this before we got on the podcast. I said, I got, I got a big question for you. And you said, well, I, I'm not sure I can answer that, um, but I'm going to give it to you. So in, in the in the book, there doesn't seem to be any differential between male and female physiology when dealing with aging. Yet, as far as we know, for the vast majority, there isn't other than for, um, if you will, eggs and sperm. And let me go into that a little bit. In other words, once you get structural change that's, that prohibits rehabilitation, 
So, for example, right now in the lungs, once you get emphysema, we haven't seen that model be able to be re-enacted to normal lung cells. But, and that, and, but sperm, there is sperm production in men all the way through um, as long as their testicular function. And in the animal models, that's rejuvenatable or regeneratable. So the guys can produce sperm at a fair quantity again. In women, it doesn't, it seems like you can slow the deterioration of eggs, but once it's stopped, the mouse models and the other and the other uh, submammalian models that have been used don't seem that you can recreate egg production again. Now, is that a final answer? No, we're really early in this, but I haven't seen anything that um, go anything definitive that I can say there's a difference between the male and female. There probably is. I just haven't seen it. And it may be, it, you know, it isn't an area that I or, uh, to my knowledge, any member of our scientific advisory board has focused on in our discussions. Well, the, the um, rates of dementia are much higher with women than men. Well, they're, they are um, about twice as great in women as men. Um, and some of that is undoubtedly due to hormonal changes. Some of that is also due to the fact that women live longer, mm. but even at the same age, it, it appears, and, and by that I mean at the same age. So at age uh, 90, it's roughly 20% of women and 10% of men. And that may be due to the fact that <laughs> men do enough destructive things earlier that <laughs> those that are going to develop dementia have already uh, done stupid stuff, whereas women are uh, not doing it. I don't know the reason. I mean, I don't think we really know the reason for whether that's hormonal, whether that's, um, you know, people have said that's estrogen or it's an estrogen lack effect in men. Um, I don't know that, or maybe a testosterone effect. I don't know the the answer to that, and I don't know that we know the answer. I do know that in the as as I looked at it in the bumetamide study and in the Viagra study, men in the Viagra got a bigger benefit in produ in reducing dementia, but they had bigger doses than the women taking. Um, if you will, for pulmonary hypertension. On the other hand, in the bumetamide study, Bumex, I keep mispronouncing it. Bumex is the is the is the trade name of it. Um, women and men had equal benefit, um, but they took equal doses. So um, I don't know what what uh, I don't know um, what that implies, um, but uh, it seems like. Uh, dementia is a big enough problem in both males and females. And as, as, as you probably have seen in the book, there are 33 things you can do. And one of the neat things in the app is we have a relationship with Brain HQ, which is speed of processing games. And so right in the app, you can do speed of processing games. Um, when you get the, the app, which is free for, I think, a 10-day trial or so, at uh, greatagereboot.com. Um, so you sign up there, but obviously you get it at the Google store or the uh, uh, Apple store. Um, it's free for the first 10 days and then there's a charge, but it comes with um, the Brain HQ games or the speed of processing games embedded in it. It comes in with all the other apps integrated with it as well. So uh, I'm really actually the, the most important things you do um, for um, brain health. And there are 33 things that, that have been shown in at least uh, two studies in humans. Well, it is uh, posse and purpose. That's one. 
The second one is do add speed to your exercise that is stress, stress your muscle. And the third is, uh, add speed to your, uh, brain games, crossword puzzles, ex executive function games help a little bit speed of processing much greater at building your hippocampus, which is, uh, the key organ in the, in the body where, uh, size matters. I just want to circle back to what you were said about the um, men do dumb things earlier in life. And there's a certain Darwinian <laughs> effect here. And that's why women live longer. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, what are the you know, the all cause mortality of men versus women at age 20? Um, yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Um Dr. Mike, it is such a pleasure to have you on. And I'm just oh, going to... Pleasure is mine. Once again, um, the book is fantastic. The app... Thank just, you. Yeah. Just, just download the app. It's great. Um, Thank you. Um, re really wonderful job. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I yeah, obviously, I'm be happy to come on again. And I hope uh, after today's discussion, you'll call me back and tell me uh, what's what's... Oh, What's uh, so effective about the biome? How does the biome do this? Yeah, yeah. I'm um, I, I'm talking to Dean in like three hours. So I will ask him. I said, I'm going to be on with Dr. Mike. And he told me this. What's up? Um, <laughs> and we'll hear what Naveen has to say. Okay. Thank you. All right. Take care, Dr. Mike. You too. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Bye now. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on the show today. Mike's book is The Great Age Reboot cracking the longevity code for longer tomorrow we'll be leaving a link to that in the show notes thank you all for joining us today it's great to have you with us and please if you like the show if there are people out there that you think could benefit from what mike and i just talked about please share the program with them and you know please follow us you can follow us you can subscribe on any of the platforms that you're listening to this podcast on and guess what you can leave us up to a five-star review like what you've heard and that really helps us you can also leave a comment we like those if you want to contact me directly david at superage.com got any questions for dr mike i'll get them answered hit me up david superage.com until next week please everyone have a wonderful week be safe we'll see you then bye now